Welcome to episode 140 of Stage Worthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stage Worthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My time heading out east to the Fundy and Halifax Fringe Festivals is coming up fast. You know, if you're in Toronto on August 16th, I'll be performing my solo play, The Commandment, at the Red Sandcastle Theatre that night, just before I head out east, and I would love it if you would come. You'll find ticket info at homebodyproductions.ca. If you have a comment about the show or just want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest is Alexander Thomas, who appears in Theater Mischief's A Girl Lives Alone starting August 11th as part of the 2018 Summer Works Festival. Now the, the 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 play that you're rehearsing is uh, is it a girl. A girl lives alone. A girl, a girl lives alone. Yeah. Which I mean has a bit of a like even the the title sort of it, it stresses me out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's described as a comedy. Yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> I guess dark. Comedy. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if I, I, I don't know how much I, I should have talked to Jessica with how much I. Well, we don't want to. I mean, obviously, it, we're going to talk a little bit about it, but you know, yeah. we don't want to get. I don't want to. I don't want spoilers. But yeah. I mean, yeah. With a title like "A Girl Lives Alone." Yeah, actually, I mean, it there. It's an apartment building, right? In Harlem, my character is the landlord of mm-hmm. the apartment building, and. A, mur- a murder takes place in there. I mean, I-, I guess I can say that because you find that out almost immediately. That's like right away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, th- this young girl that was staying there is murdered. And it's sort of like what this does to, you know, it's about it's about loneliness. Yeah. It's about people needing each other and fearing each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because everyone's on pins and needles and sure. who in the building can you trust? And, yeah. And uh, and and it's actually most of the characters in the building are women. Okay. You know, and uh, that might have something to do with the title. But there's <laughs> but there's men there, and then my characters yeah. too. So, so it's uh, mm. it's in, and there's a lot of fun stuff she does. It's sort of a, like a Hitchcock kind of yeah feeling to it. Well, Jess is Jess is a, is a is like her writing has always been a little bit um, like she's really and I don't mean this as a, a trite way she's clever um, and her writing uh, has always really reflected that. Um, I think you'll find that with this. <laughs> Some really funny stuff. <laughs> okay, all right. Play a comedy that starts with a murder. You know what? There are plenty of comedies that start with murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, just to, to, to turn to, to, to you, we'll come back to the uh, A Girl Lives Alone. Um, one of the questions I always ask is, like, what draws somebody to 
to uh, work in theater. And so, what was it that that brought you to theater? What's your What's your theater origin well, story? Well, I mean, I should really tell you my story. Period. So, well, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. I'm. So I'm. I'm originally. I was born in America. Mm-hmm. I'm, I grew up in Albany, New York. Okay. But uh, that was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's my roots in theater really started there, my interest in it. But I, um, I about 15 years ago, I got married. Mm-hmm. My second marriage, that's another whole story. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and my wife works for the German Foreign Service. Okay. So every four or five years, this typical American who didn't even have a passport when I met her now lives in different countries. <laughs> so the, the first, our first, her first posting was in um, London. Okay. We were there for five years and then Berlin for four. And now we've been here in Toronto for four. Okay. Another year here. So it's kind of interesting. I'm always the new kid on the block. Sure. But I've managed to to keep my acting going and to work in, in each of these countries and cities. Can I ask you what the biggest shock for you was, um, first off, when you, who had never really traveled before, yeah. found, himself, found yourself in England? Yeah. What was the biggest shock for you? Well, being, I have to say, I mean, I, I have traveled, like, within the States. Sure. Traveling in the States is almost like, Europeans going oh, sure. to a different, yeah. but um, because because L.A. is has I met her in L.A. when right. I was living in L.A., which is like the polar opposite of New York City. Of course, yes. Soul. But first of all, it's just an eye opener to. I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this. No, say Seeing how freaking bonkers we are. I had no idea. When you I say, mean, when I knew you say, when you say um, we America, you, America. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. I knew we were like off the rails. I mean, there. Look, I'm, I'm a black man. Okay, so you can't grow up black in America and not think, not have some criticism. Sure. Of, yeah, yeah. of a lot of things yeah. that happened there. So, um, but uh, when I got over there, and I, it was just like it, it's just this realization that, oh, other people don't do this. They're not gun nuts everywhere. <laughs> They don't make circuses out of their politicians running for an office. Yeah, it's not like a carnival. Yeah. It was like what, you know, we really didn't know that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and again to bring up uh, a darker side, no pun intended. I, uh, I people ask me what's the difference for me. Put I'll put it this way. I haven't lived in my home country for about 15 years now. Right. And I haven't been pulled over or harassed by the police in 15 years. Huh. A coincidence? I don't know. You tell me. Huh. I don't huh. know. I, it's not that that stuff doesn't happen in London. And clearly, I've heard stories of what happens here. Sure. But the rate at which it does, it right. jumps out in my mind. Mm tenfold because it just hasn't happened yeah 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 and i'm and i'm and i am so geared and used to it happened that it just sort of like i just flow with it sure yeah huh well i mean i'm 
you know, I mean, <laughs> I know this is sure. a different direction. No, no, no. this is, this is we're artistic come back to all talk. This stuff. No, no, no. This is, <laughs> this, that's the podcast. We go where it goes. Um, in terms of like, you know, my my brother is black, and he's you know, I think a little bit less now, but he's frequently pulled over. Uh-huh. But I mean, so here. it does happen here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's yeah. happened here, but yeah. you know, there's a lot that's happening there that isn't happening here. Right. Which sometimes give we give ourselves a little pass here. We're like, oh, we're so little, right. little pat. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, that I, I've, was, I've, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. gotten. We, that. I'm sure you must have noticed our, 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 how often we like to pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> um, but in terms of like coming from England to Canada, um, had you been to Canada before? Before you came here? No, no, no. What did you think? I mean, and, and please be frank. What did you think about Canada before you came here? And what did you what did you learn? Um, yeah, I well, you know, I mean, you from America, it's just like your Canada's always sort of like the butt of of these sort of sure passive aggressive jokes, oh, you sure. know. Yeah, and um, uh, but I also had a kind of uh, I actually had a romanticism though about Canada because of its role in the Underground Railroad, sure. and yeah. that was kind of always in my mind and I know people and I remember I remember back when I was very young and the Vietnam mm-hmm. War was on and uh, I, I'm at an age where I just missed the draft sure a couple of years older and I would have been in the draft yeah and uh, but I remember friends my hippie friends and people who some who left and yeah. came to Canada mm-hmm. and actually I've met some people some Americans here who have been here since those days, mm-hmm. you know, since I've been living here. Yeah. So, so that was kind of a romantic thing I had. And um, honestly, when I, f- the first day I was here, I said to my wife, oh, this is what America pretends to be. <laughs> because it, it just had that feeling that all the stuff we talk about in diversity mm, yeah. and this, on the streets. And I, and I know, and I, I say that, to people here, and I think they don't—they don't see themselves as diverse as they are. I no. think sometimes no. it's kind of like you almost have to come in from outside to go. No, you guys keep fighting, keep going in that in that direction, and keep standing up for and you know everything. Even even things like the 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 the, the land acknowledgement yeah. stuff at the theater. Yeah. I'm like, I was like, what is this? What? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think one of the reasons why Canadians often don't see that is because the majority of our media comes from the U.S. Mm-hmm. and you often see yourself in the media that you're fed, and so we miss out. We miss the self-identification of what's different between uh, uh, America and us because we see so much of so much American media right. on our televisions. Right. Um, but I mean, the land acknowledgement I think is, is great. I think. Um, the only thing that I think that we should add to it is an explanation about why we do it. Okay. That's that, and that's because I've seen right. people who don't know. And I was, and yeah. when I first started seeing it, I was like, "So who's this sanctimonious white person paying lip service to like <laughs> right. what's going on yeah, here?" Like, yeah. And I yeah. think that we just like just to have a little bit of a we do this because yeah. the Truth and Reconciliation yeah. Commission, this sort of thing, like just right. a little blurb. Right. Um, I want to go back to your um, sort of falling in love with the theater because you said that happened in New York. Yeah. But what was it that drew you to well, it? Well, 
I like I, said, I grew up in Albany, New York, mm-hmm. and um, and my my family actually really was so far away from having anything to do with theater. Come from a big family, very uh, inner city African American family. We lived in the projects and all that stuff. Those kind of almost typical stories, mm-hmm. and uh, only it's they're real. Those are real stories, and that's why they're. But um, and theater was the last thing on the minds of anybody. Sure. But I I had a brother that was. They say in every sort of family like that, there's there's this pole star child that sort of separates from the sort of beaten path mm-hmm. and that was my brother Cleve who uh, um, out of the blue somehow he became interested in one thing he got good grades in school mm-hmm. which wasn't normal in my family he was a, stu- <laughs> he was a studious and he um, uh, started doing plays at the local high school there was this amazing uh, magic drama coach, this okay. guy John Vealy, who did like really, and this is like this is like the late sixties, yeah, and early seventies, and um, my brother Cleve, at a real early age, like seventeen, started writing and putting plays on at the the local boys club. He would write these plays, he would direct them, he would use kids, and I was his younger brother. And he sort of made me act. I mean, like, like you know, you, you get the, the brothers who are making their brother play basketball. Yeah. So you better get out there. He was like, you know, learn them damn lines. You, better, you know, he was, he, he was like really hard on me, yeah, yeah. you know, if I was, if I would, was, was being sort of phony on stage, he would nail me and <laughs> lecture me. And, uh, and I just, I fell in love with, with working, doing, and it, and it was just theater. It was for the sake of it. I didn't know that you could have like a career or yeah. anything, which which was, which is both negative and positive. I mean, in the sense that when I sort of left home to sort of be an actor, I had no idea how to build a career sure. or anything like that. I thought you just. Got with people who you liked and you did you did stuff you know <laughs> that's, well that's and, where you came from yeah yeah and and actually oddly enough now this is years later now here in Toronto what I love about the theater scene here is that it is kind of like that that's like what it is the indie scene really yeah, is kind of yeah, like that yeah, yeah. um it's interesting because your theater origin story because some people's origin story is like. My parents took me to the theater and I saw a play and it was magic and I knew I wanted to do that. But your origin story is like, I was doing the plays and I fell in love with all of that stuff. Yeah, Which is a little bit unique and I I think that that's an an unusual way to come at it. But again, it's like, instead of your initial experience being from the audience side, it was on the inside. Yeah, oh yeah. And I I hadn't really seen a live play... Once in a while, the school would do some really corny stuff or something, some that would take you to some field trip sure. thing. And uh, as a matter of fact, like the plays that we did with Cleve at the Boys Club, 
we were like sort of socially aware even then. Like, like I said, this is like '69 or something. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember we did this one play that had a scene. It had where the was these vignettes, and one of them was about like gun control, like this father teaching his son to shoot and accidentally shoots his son. And so okay, yeah. back then, and we and so for me, theater was always about what you're talking about mm-hmm. socially. So when and then, then I remember the 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 boys' club itself. They were taking all of us boys out to the real theater, and it was some Williamstown or someplace like that. We were going to see theater, and I remember it was. Can you curse on this? Fuck yeah! It was fucking Oklahoma. And I was like these fucking cowboys dancing and singing and shit. I was like, what is? We were all like, what is this? You know, it just wasn't. No, no. And I know a lot of people love musicals and all that stuff, and and they're cool. But but for for when your idea of theater was that you know you make statements about what's going on yeah. and you're talking and then in, in what they take you the professional theater and it was like these cowboys dancing and singing out of the blue I was like what you know? <laughs> well, interesting I mean in 1969 I mean Oklahoma was already like old pretty stuff dated, it was yeah. pretty dated yeah. you know yeah. but I mean it's important in the genesis of the theater but it's like I can yeah. certainly understand like being used to like the theater is where you make a statement. Yeah. And well, I, I had to learn all that. Yeah. I had to learn. I later on learned mm. what sort of like what the American canon was. I mean, I, I, did, I didn't have any knowledge of that. Uh, even even the great playwrights, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, I mean, all that stuff. I learned sort of post boys club mm. like, oh, this is this is what I'm studying. I didn't know that. You know? So when you when you left school. And you decided that you were going to make your way as an actor. What was it that made you decide that that was what you were going to do? Because your brother was the was the outlier, the first person to to go in that direction. What what made you want to do that? And did you go to theater school, or did you just go out and try it, to make it happen? It was just, I guess it was it was something I could do. Mm. I felt yeah. I felt I could do. I don't think any actor. I don't care what they say. Does it? I mean, at some point, you're in the mirror or whatever, and you go, "Damn, I'm damn good at this." Because it's like, why else would you do it? I can't. It's, no, it's true. You know, there's there is that there is that moment where you're like, I don't know. I think you do have those moments where you're like. And maybe it's not I'm damn good at this, but it's like when I do this, I feel, I feel yeah, exactly. more full than I could behind a desk somewhere. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but I didn't go to school not because I didn't want to go, mostly because, like I said, the background I was from, you know, and this is this is before, um. Or maybe at the beginning of all, like everyone complains, like I hear people complaining about affirmative action now. It's like, no, you don't understand. There was no action. No, yeah, yeah, You know, and uh, it's like, I didn't know how to get in school, didn't have any help getting Mm -hmm. in school. and, and, And so in my mind, I sort of said, well, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I went 
I lived in New York and I went to like the studios. Like I went, yeah. I took classes at Stella Adler Studios. You know, you wash dishes and you pay for your class. And, yeah. and, and often, often you get like deals from those places, you know, if you're really, if you're really serious yeah. and you don't have money and stuff mm-hmm. and you can sit in on classes. And I just sort of did that and sort of piecemeal. My training is very eclectic. Yeah. I, had this private coach here or this studio coach there and this and that and then tried to do plays you know yeah. um, and where were you doing them were you, were you uh, moving around did you did yeah you go to New York City thing or? I, I was in New York City New York City when I was young it it wasn't uh, really wasn't kind to me I mean it did you know they say if if you can make it here, if you can make it in New York, yeah, you yeah, can make yeah. it anywhere. Well, I guess I can't make it anywhere because I I had the hardest time in New York, you know. Well, I mean, what, I, mean I think now people forget what New York was in the yeah. in the seventies and, yeah. and, and eighties that yeah. it was uh, there was some rough yeah. shit in New York, yeah. and you know, yes, there was the theater, but there was also yeah. like. To get there, you had to go through Times Square, which was not a particular tourist de- destination at the time. I lived on 12th Street between Avenue B and mm-hmm. C. And only if you knew New York in those days would you know to shudder at, at hearing that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Now nobody would even blink at that, right? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Now, the I left New York in 1987. I had an apartment what they call a railroad apartment, mm-hmm. one of those, like with the bathtub in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and, straight through. and it was, it had, it was rent stabilized and it had risen from $185 to $235 a month when I left. Right. Now it's like 2,500, 3,000 a yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> yes, yeah. <clears throat> um... <laughs> Where did you go from there? Where did you where did you head? I ended up in uh, in L.A. for a mm-hmm. long time, eighteen yeah. years. That's the story of my first marriage. Were you I, were you to, doing theater there? Were you doing film? Was it? I was working, trying to be a properly married man ah, okay, and have okay. a legit job. I actually. Be, this is this is my journey, right? Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I took some accounting classes okay. and I worked in a bank for a black for which was totally like my friends were like, what the hell happened to Alex? But I was trying to do this life mm-hmm. right, and it, and it wasn't like you know I I wasn't having this brilliant career that you're yeah. that you're supposed to have and know you're going to have when you're seventeen. Sure, and that was the the reality of it, and um. Uh, slowly things changed, and uh, and out of frustration, around '95, I began writing this one-man show, this solo. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Actually, I didn't know what it was gonna be. Right. I had never written anything before. Didn't know if I could. And um, a friend suggested that I do a 15 minute a day writing exercise. And, and I even had trouble doing that, Mm. but eventually I started collecting these pieces and all of the, 
I didn't want to do this kind of, I thought it was a really indulgent thing. These guys do these autobiographical pieces. Like, sure. why are you doing autobiographical? Who are you? You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But all the stuff I was writing, the most interesting stuff was always when I wrote some sort of anecdote from my life or about right. my father or mm -hmm. about my brother. And it came together to this uh, solo piece I call Throw Pitchfork. And um, it took basically years before I finished it. And then um, before I was ready to do it, and I, then I started doing it in like garages. I did it for a friend. I did it for a friend in her living room. Yeah. Then I did it in a garage for someone. And a friend of mine, this great friend of mine in lives in New York, this writer, director named Judy Tate, had a, a this, worked at the EST Ensemble Studio Theater. And once a year they do this works in progress mm -hmm. thing. So now I was in LA, flew me to New York and we did this works in progress thing. And then the next thing I know, um, the New York Theater Workshop wanted to workshop it. So they were workshopping it. And then they did, and I had a, an off-Broadway run with this play, like suddenly sort of out of nice. the blue from not doing anything. I mm. was doing that. And that sort of, that sort of began the trajectory that I have been on since then. It's interesting when you, when you, when you leave it. Yeah. Cause I've done it. I left it for a number of years and then you get like a little taste. Mm -hmm. You get like a little taste of it somehow. Like I had a friend who was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a show. I want you to do it. It's like, I I don't do that anymore. Right. She's like, but I really want you to do this. I was like, fine, I'm fine. And then I was in. Right. I'm in. I'm back in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's it's like a piece. Because I I felt I don't know if you felt like this when you were working at the bank. Um, when I was not doing theater and I was just working, like my my daytime job, mm -hmm. I kind of felt like I was like playing a role but not doing it very well yeah exactly you know exactly i felt oh like i was going God. into work going yes fellow yeah. workplace colleagues yeah. i am also a workplace yeah. colleague of yours yeah i felt like a robot yeah and there were people there i mean i remember this woman that uh we're pretty good friends and she she had been there since she was like 19, mm -hmm. we were like the same age. We've been there. And, and I remember it was really depressing because um, she had been there all that much time. And she was making, I think, like two and a half dollars more than I was an hour. And I was like, what? It's like, <laughs> I would think that her salary was triple what I was yeah, making. No. Or something. It was really, yeah. When you were performing your 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 solo play, and, and it, was it like they were workshopping it? Were you like were you performing it the whole time? Was it? Yeah, you know? I um, you know, uh, they they had this great thing in uh, Portland called the Ja West Festival, and that was the first place they had me come from L.A. to there, and it was like this great. It was like um, <clears throat> I think it was two weeks. Mm which was amazing to me. Wow. Yeah. Two weeks. And they, and I worked on this play and then he said he would produce it. And, uh, and then a couple of times I, they, they, they work at Dartmouth every summer as well, doing these workshops for a week. And I, I think I went there twice and worked on it two summers. And mm. then I had a production. They gave me a, an amazing run. Mm. I had, uh, I think three weeks of previews and a three or four week run. 
you know. Yeah, I'm still like three week three week preview. I feel like that's kind of luxurious. It it was yeah. it was and <laughs> Jim Nicola, the artistic director, said he said I really want this to be in the shape that it needs to be, and so mm-hmm. I'm going to give you that. Minute. Wow, yeah, he was was really amazing, and and for me. You know, I had never really kind of worked on that level before, yeah. so it was like I was just like my mind was blown, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then since every since then, it's been. You know, I got to do another run of it at this theater in Ithaca, New York, called the Kitchen Theater, mm-hmm. which became sort of like a home for me over the years. I've worked there a lot now, and um, even even when I moved away. They would fly me back from huh. London or Berlin nice. to do a show there. Nice. And, uh, and you would think that leaving the country at that time mm. was a bad thing, but it, I ended up working in all these other places. Like, who would have thought that marrying a German civil servant would be a good career move? <laughs> you know, but for an actor. But I, but I worked more. I've worked more mm. since then than I have when well, I was living in America. Have you worked in? theaters in the places where you where you were living or has it been like you've you've consistently been flown back to the u.s to no no there? no I, I worked in london actually yeah. in london i had sort of uh in a way i guess i have to say the biggest gig i've had it was a a stage production of on the waterfront okay. it was directed by stephen burkoff mm. and um essentially it kind of kept me on and off employed over two and a half years because there were five different stagings of it. Hmm. It went to the Edinburgh Festival, the Hong Kong Arts Festival, wow. where it would stay like for like a month at these places. And it, and we had a, a West End run. Nice. For, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, did, you, did you do theater in Berlin? Yes, I did at the English Theater of Berlin. Mm-hmm. And I also wrote a play that they produced. Okay. Yeah. So you've been, you've been writing... More. Yeah, yeah, I I I after um throw pitchfork, I teamed up with this guy named Levandy Hawkins, this uh performance artist, and we wrote this very nastily <laughs> satirical piece on being black in America uh-huh. called Black Stuff. <laughs> That's sort of like the most politically incorrect but but truthful thing and so we did that together and we had a little run of that that even did like a New York Fringe Festival and some other stuff and then uh, I started I I discovered the history of black people in Germany black citizens mm. before and after the Hitler years that I didn't know about and um it just provoked me to write this play that I I call it's called Schwarzgemacht or How Klaus Found His Blackness, <laughs> and um, it was uh, I I I started writing it and uh, it was like sort of in limbo. Actually, New York Theater Workshop did a little bit of workshopping of it, but I just didn't know how to develop it, take mm. it. But when I moved to Berlin. Then um, I met at the English Theater of Berlin this director there, Daniel Bernay, who he's an American, but he's been working there for years, running at theater. And um, the black German character, the Afro-Deutsche, that's what they call themselves, um, in uh, 
in my play, there was a a, a, a black German actor named Ernest Allen Hausman, and we were doing we were doing a piece together. And I jokingly said to him, I wrote a play about you, you know? And he said, what do you mean? So I told him about this play mm -hmm. and he got, he freaked out. He was like, no one's ever written anything about this, mm. German or otherwise. Mm. So um, he read the play. And so then we workshopped it with him and Daniel and uh, it turned into this production, which they, they actually did in 2014 and then they brought back in 2015. Mm. So, um, so that was amazing thing to have happen. So, so I've had some really cool things happen yeah. in every country. There's, it's interesting that first off, we, the the power that history has, and sometimes when we don't know a history, and then we start looking into it because we have the mythologies of our histories, but there's all these truths behind the mythologies, and then there's the things that we didn't know. For example, like you were saying, the the history of of, uh, of black people in, in Germany before and after the Nazis. Um, and also the power of the writing muscle that it just sort of keeps going. You know, I don't know if you find this, but when I'm writing, I always have to have another file. It's like, here's the idea that I'm just like, right. little idea, just like little jot it down and keep going and then jot it down and keep right. going. Because it just like, writing and creativity sort of like births more creativity i find mm -hmm. um so you've you've been in you've been in canada for how long now uh since august of 2014 okay and and you've been you've been doing some theater here yeah yeah this uh theater community has embraced me it's good done stuff like the first thing i did was uh it's a play called Hangman at the Storefront Theater. Oh, yes. I, inter I uh, interviewed uh, Danny and uh, 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 the playwright, whose name escapes me right now. Right, uh, Jason Mack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to see that, but um, it got some really great notices, I remember. Cool. Um, especially, for, especially for Prince. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Prince blew me away. Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. I mean... The person, the actor, I mean, this is an amazing yeah. human being. I remember after the first rehearsal when I met him, I went home. I said to my wife, I said, this guy's going to change my life. Yeah, yeah. You know? Did he? He's, he kind of did. Yeah. He's, he's kind of had a real... And, I, I, you know, I'm not even around him that much, though, but I yeah. run into him now and then. But he kind of did. He kind of... Mm. Because I've been through also some... I've been through some heavy health stuff. Like, yeah. I had... I don't know. If, I'm probably telling too much stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I had like a cancer when sure. I was living in Berlin. I had to work through that yeah. chemotherapy. And actually, two years ago here, I had uh, I had heart surgery. Right. So it's like I'm I'm like the bionic man. The fact yeah. that I'm up and doing plays and running around, it's just like I'm like, you know. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, but, but yeah, working with Prince, just his outlook on life, mm -hmm. just like has affected me. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, dude, I'm not, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then such a amazing actor, like the kind, like you look him in the eyes and it's like you get nothing but truth. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. that. I've heard that. <clears throat> um, and you, I mean, you mentioned the, the, the indie theater scene here. 
uh, feels a little bit like um, the the way that it felt working at the boys club in Albany. It is like um, sort of like a bunch of people sort of like let's put on a play. Yeah, which it it, it sort of I'm thinking it, of of the people that I know who do a lot of indie work and they're all connected. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know cross-pollination yeah as a matter of fact just the other uh, a while ago when uh, when I saw uh, a Danny's play Dead Pets uh, uh, Prank yeah yeah and there was someone another actor that I know they're talking and they didn't know each other and it took me a minute to realize oh and I had to introduce them because I was like I I almost assume everybody knows everybody <laughs> you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so in the so the play A Girl Is Alone, uh-huh. part of SummerWorks. Yep. Um, so it's getting five performances. Um, you've been rehearsing it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, has something? Has anything surprised you about this particular play? Um, yeah, you know, um, Jessica has such a crazy style. When you you read the the dialogue, you go, "Is this gonna work?" Because she does a lot of crazy overlapping and I mean it's become a, th- a lot of writers do that now where there's these slashes yeah. that you go in and um but uh it, it it just looked like this looks like it's gonna be really chaotic and actually in a way the more that you give yourself to that chaos is when it really comes alive hmm. in, in rehearsal the more that we just let ourselves go, oh, no, what, 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 you know, and not worry about it. Yeah. You know, it's not, she doesn't really write like star vehicles, you know, everybody, the whole ensemble is sort of. But that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of amazing to work in when there isn't like, you know, it's not a one person show, it's everybody's show. And I guess, um, the whole like with everybody overlapping like that, it you can't worry about it. You just have to trust the words and hope that everything comes across. Yeah, and you kind of find like a rhythm. Yeah, that's more there's there's your own internal rhythm, and then there's the sort of breathing rhythm of of everybody and feeling and be, becoming aware of where this person is at in this line mm-hmm. and how you're either under it or on top of it or yeah. over it when you can and you just have to the only way to do that is just rehearsing it well yeah I mean I guess you have to because everybody's rhythm is different so you everybody falls into their own rhythm and you just have to be aware of what your co-actors rhythms are and you fall into wherever you fit in that, I guess. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah. Um, now, of course, we talked earlier about um, how like, it starts with a murder. And it's sort of a dark comedy. Uh-huh. Um, has the... I mean... You know, I'm waiting for you to... Ask me something I can't answer. No, 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 like, what's I mean, he gonna ask? No, me? <laughs> but I guess I guess what I'm what I'm sort of like thinking of is is when you're working with a dark comedy, um, 
there can be moments of like, oh, I don't know about this. This like this moment here is this like does that go too far? Yeah, is this really funny? Is this is funny this really... or is this like or is this just morbid? Have you had any moments like that? Not to give anything away, but um, have you had any moments where you were like, I don't know about this? I somehow I don't I don't know if you're gonna feel that with this hmm. like that. Oh, this is way too much this is too pushing the envelope although but then on the other hand it might just be I'm I don't know if I might I might just be so fucked up that (laughs) you know like like I went to see this play this amazing piece Mm -hmm. um, called what was it Crave I think it was called Mm -hmm. at the in the Fringe. Mm-hmm. I hope that's the name of it. Crave. Anyway, it was. <clears throat> it was this really intense piece by this uh, British young British writer who um, had committed suicide or okay. something. Hmm. Sarah Kane. Oh, yeah, Sarah yeah. Kane. And um, it was like really intense, and it was about abuse mm-hmm. and. Uh, and um, you know, uh, violation and and these actors and say they were intense, they were amazing, they were riveting. And at the end of it, the uh, actors said to the audience, "You know, we know that this play can be very triggering, mm-hmm. and if you want a safe space, we are here to yeah. have a safe space." And I was thinking, yeah, I was riveted and stuff, but I, I left going. Am I so fucked up that, like, I mean, maybe I've been through so much trauma, I guess, that or something that's like, because I was, I, there was nothing about it that made me feel like, oh, I'm vulnerable. But I could see how people could. But that was making me think, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not the person to ask those questions. But, you so. know, what's interesting about, about that is that you were, to my, to my mind, and I didn't see the play. But the way that you describe it is you were riveted by this play. Yeah. And you found it exhilarating. Just like watching all the stuff that, that's happening. Yeah. You're in a different space at that point than somebody who might be triggered by it. Right, right. You as a person who is like, you're just being carried away by what's happening on stage and things like that. So that's not being fucked up. That's just right. like <laughs> being taken on the, on the theater ride rather than getting caught in a moment, which yeah. somebody yeah. who yeah. gets yeah. triggered by some of it, yeah. Yeah. that doesn't make yeah. you fucked up. That just yeah. makes you like yeah. uh, a person, like a great audience member who, who he had carried away on the theater. <laughs> well, thanks. We're going to be great friends, Phil. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, the, the, so A Girl Is Alone is uh, part of the 2018 Summerworks Festival. It's at the Theater Center uh, mm-hmm. starting on August 11th. That's, that's coming up. That's great. Good. And I, I hope that this tangent, I went off on this no. personal tangent, does it some good. No, this is, all, this is what it's all about. This is what the podcast is about. It's about you. It's okay. about your story. So okay. Thank you so good. much. Good. Thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.